welcome to episode 106 of Friends of Film, a podcast covering latest news and releases in the movie world. On this episode, we'll cover DiCaprio and Tarantino teaming up, a Black Widow movie, X-Men changes, and more after review of The Post. As always, I am your host, Cooper Hood, once again joined by a man who did not complete his 2017 New Year's resolution, Josh Straley. I, fell, I mean, I got 50, 60% of the way there. You got, well, how many, well, what, what? There's to refresh people's minds, if they okay. forgot, what was your New Year's resolution? My last New Year's year? resolution was to get through the Alien and Predator franchises, as well as well, no, as well as the crossovers, mm-hmm. and got all of the Alien movies done, including super, Prometheus, including Prometheus, okay. which I'd already seen, mm-hmm. um, and then of course Covenant, mm-hmm. uh, but I did not get to a single Predator or Alien versus Predator film. Predator, not Predator 2, not... Not Predators. And Predators. Then not Alien vs. Predator, and then Requiem. Right. So you, you went 6 out of 11, so what's that, like 55% or something? Yes. Yeah, so just like the path. Yeah. Oh, well. Not uh, a passing grade, but it's okay. No. <laughs> <laughs> I think at one time I had getting through all the psych reference movies as yeah. well. Yeah, so... That didn't happen either. No, nope, not even getting close. <laughs> but hey, guys, don't forget... You can get all of our latest updates on Facebook and Twitter at Friends and Film, and be sure to check out the rest of our shows on iTunes, Stitcher, and SoundCloud. And if you can, leave us a review. It really, really helps. Yes, it would. And as we mentioned at the top of the show, this week we are reviewing The Post, the latest movie from the mind of Steven Spielberg. Uh, it is my week to start. Uh, we're going to start with our review of The Post, as we always do here. Um, if we dive into spoilers on it, I don't even know if we will or what you'd even constitute as a spoiler for this movie. Right. Um, unless you want to talk about like the very last scene of it, potentially. <laughs> um, Which is just history. But. Right. But uh, other than that, you know, if you if we get into spoilers for whatever reason and you want to skip them for whatever reason, there will be a timestamp in the description of this episode. But otherwise... I'm going to start with my review. Uh, you guys may have already read it because it's currently up on the website, which I think either last week or week before I got the URL wrong. We are friends of film at wordpress.com and not blogspot. I heard you say that and I was like, oh, I guess we're there too. <laughs> no, no, we are just on WordPress. If you go to blogspot, or, you know, if, probably not. I would guess friends of film.blogspot is not a website that is currently running or has any content on it, but you never know. Uh, but we are on WordPress. And if you read the review, you know that I obviously gave it four ticket stubs out of five uh, for very good reasons, because I think that it was a really gripping tale. Um, Mainly throughout, I think it starts a little slow as it kind of sets up, um, you know, the whole conspiracy theory element of it, um, what the Pentagon Papers were, how they became leaked in the first place, but then also introing the the dynamics between uh, Kay Graham and Ben Bradley, played by Meryl Streep and Tom Hanks, respectively. But once it kind of gets past that, and then the Washington Post gets their hands on a portion of the Pentagon Papers, but then eventually the whole thing, that's when the movie just, like, really clicks into gear, and you're like... This is this is what I came to see. This is why you want Hanks and Streep and Spielberg yeah. doing a movie together because it just really, really shines. Um, I mean, you can kind of tell really quickly why Spielberg rushed this movie into production. Yeah. I mean, literally the very first exchange between Tom Hanks and Meryl Streep, Hanks says, I don't know what the exact line is, but something like the president, uh, the you know, the White House can't tell you know, reporters and news newspapers and news outlets, what they can and cannot publish. And you're like, very on the nose, Spielberg. <laughs> yeah. But 
it also worked as a way to show how even though America has obviously progressed since the 1970s, we are still dealing with many of the same issues now as they did then. Obviously, it's very different um, circumstance surrounding why these conversations have been brought up, but uh, I thought it was an interesting way to kind of start the movie off and kind of get people in that mindset. Yeah, it's like you said, it's super evident why he ducked out of post on Ready Player One. Just yeah, because like, he said it, it was that's the story. Like he said, it was the story that needs to be told right mm-hmm. now, and he makes it clear, like right from the beginning. Even though they're talking about a White House report or a Washington Post reporter not being able to cover a wedding, right? They get, they get into like the grand scope of things. I'm like, oh, okay. Yeah, right. th- yeah, it's very, very clear. Um, then obviously, I mean, th- I think outside of Spielberg and his re- name recognition, the main draw of the movie is Hanks and Streep taking on these two roles, but also being in the mo- in the same movie for the very first time ever, uh, which is kind of crazy to believe, but. Uh, I really liked both of them. I thought the performance is really strong. It hanks, I think, a little more so than Streep, in my opinion. Um, but I think that comes down to the way that Kay is portrayed throughout the movie. Uh, most of the time, she kind she kind of gets to a point in the movie uh, near the end where I felt like that's where she should have been. Um, and I don't know how accurately she was portrayed in terms of if that's how Kay was during these events i would imagine she probably was but it just still felt weird that throughout most of the movie Kay is constantly asking people what she should do instead of just doing something uh, i made her come off as somebody who was scared to be in that position who shouldn't be in the position to begin with and then you know bradley whitford's just you know ha- saying every other second she shouldn't be in charge she shouldn't mm-hmm. be in charge you know it should be her husband but unfortunately he died like you know, it just felt like uh, that was the element that I was like, it just doesn't fit with this movie in terms of a movie that's trying to be so topical of today, but then all the other issues that we're dealing with currently um, in terms of, you know, equal pay or just, you know, breaking the glass ceiling and all that stuff, um, you know, strong women. And you're like, uh, this yeah. just felt weird. It was almost like they went, they decided to go like, that was the one part that they kept true. Right. Almost. And like, they decided, Oh, we can't punch that up. Mm-hmm. It's messing with history type of a deal. Yeah. Where, I mean, if you got Meryl Streep, just let yeah. her play it up a little bit more. Yeah. And like, it, yeah, it even like, it didn't, it didn't catch my attention instantly but like you know throughout as the movie progressed i was like why doesn't she seem powerful is this just the, is this just the way she's being portrayed in the movie or is this um you know the acting from streep or is this the story but then at a certain point i was like but she's also being shot from a high angle so like basically you're looking down at her the whole time to you know, have some sense of like that she's inferior to the other people that are in the room whether that's tom hanks or whether that's bruce greenwood she's always at the bottom of the screen, you're looking down at her being like, she's powerless. And it's just like, why was that the choice that they made? Um, it just didn't, again, it just didn't fit with this movie. And I think if they would have changed that, whether or not it would have been historically correct, I think that would have helped the movie a lot, especially because there's a moment near the end that is super cheesy uh, where it's near, it's right near the end. And maybe I don't, I mean, it's, Street basically is walking down these stairs and it's just like, you know, everybody around her is all females and they're all smiling at her. And I'm like, that's just like a hallmarky, no way that happened (laughs) in real life sort of moment. And I was like, it just, since the rest of the movie, she was portrayed as someone who wasn't powerful. Mm -hmm. The fact that all of a sudden she was basically like an idol. I was like, that just, it seemed like a too quick of a transition. But uh, outside of, you know, Hanks and Streep, 
the rest of this cast is also incredibly strong. I thought Bob Odenkirk probably had the most to do in terms of a supporting character. And I thought he was really great as Ben Bagdakian. Uh, yeah. That's where I'm pronouncing that correctly. Mm-hmm. Sounds about right. Um, but, you know, whether or like, you know, Jesse Plemons, who, you know, he was in the USS uh, Callister episode of Black Mirror recently. Oh, right. uh, you know, Sarah Paulson. I already mentioned Whitford and uh, Greenwood. Even like somebody like Zach Woods or Allison Bree popping up. I was like, these yeah. all, I just like it. It all, it all fit. It all helped. Um, but really, like I mentioned at the top, it once it gets into, okay, we have the papers. Can we or can't we publish these? That's where I was like, this is the movie I came to see. That's yeah. where like, it was just exhilarating. To, it, it flew by at that point. And even something as kind of small as the way Spielberg edited together the printing of the papers oh that was it was so like cool. it was super cool and intricate mm-hmm. and i was like I, I loved all that um so if if maybe k was a little bit of a stronger character or if we had seen um the movie get into that element of you know can we or can't we do this uh quicker i think it would have pushed this up higher than a four uh, maybe into a four four and a half territory i can see why it's getting all the nominations that it's getting um even though it didn't win anything at the golden globes which i found a little odd and it, i i don't know what its oscar chances are going to be but i think it's definitely an awards movie an awards consideration movie uh even though as i mentioned in my review i would not probably vote for it in any major categories if you know the academy cared sure. had me as a voter to begin with so uh, that's my review of the post. Four ticket stubs out of five. Yeah. Okay. Great. Um, I think I think I agree like a lot with what you said. Um, I could have sworn Bob Odenkirk was you know wearing a brown leather jacket, uh, fedora, and like using a whip to wrangle his sources, and like he was punching lawyers at some point. I felt mm-hmm. like to get those Pentagon papers, but you know in reality he was just confirming facts, uh, catching catching lead sources, um, and fighting with the legal department. But it was kind of easy to get confused that he's not Indiana Jones, you know, <laughs> looking for some lost artifact when the movie is directed by Spielberg and being scored by John Williams. Yeah. Because, like you said, that's how exciting the, the you know, the, the second and third acts of this movie are. It, it's kind of just like, oh, this is, this is awesome. This yeah. is journalism at a certain point. Um, it's by far the best movie about newspapers and the news that I think I've ever seen blows all the president's men out of the water and comes really close to spotlight and probably overtakes it just because it's a love letter to the newspaper industry and also a bit of a, you know, a raised finger to (laughs) the um, people who would like to see a fair and free independent press, you know, shut down. Uh, super topical i mean like like you said uh it's it's almost too on the nose yeah. at, at every point um especially the opening conversation which is a nice long take too which i really really love i'm like and that's how you know these are pros because they just they go about it for about i think it's a minute about a minute or minute 20 at least it feels like it's a lot longer but streep and hanks are doing a morning debrief and they're just completely in character as and you're just like yeah this is exactly right so what i do love is the cast like you said i cannot believe streep and hanks have never been into a film together i feel like 
I sh- there, there should have been mm-hmm. one by now. Like, who? Oh, come on now. Um, but yeah, as Sarah Paulison, Bob Odenkirk is phenomenal. Um, Bruce Greenwood, of all people, does really well. I thought that guy had kind of disappeared yeah. off the face of the planet. Uh, but I am really high on David Cross' performance. Uh, yeah. He I mean, he doesn't do a whole lot, but he's just kind of like, that guy is definitely a reporter in the yeah. newsroom. Um, but also, there is a couple of elements sprinkled around the grand picture here that I really did appreciate too, which was how the news business operates in a lot of ways, especially the competitive spirit of it. Mm-hmm. When Ben Bradley, Tom Hanks's character, realizes one of the Washington or one of the New York Times's famous reporters hasn't been seen in three months, like what's he doing? So he hires out interns, and they're just tracking each other down, all trying to get the scoop until they finally realize that, you know. The, the Times have the Pentagon Papers, and it moves on and on. I, I definitely agree with you that it does start off slow, but what's in the beginning is also really, really intriguing. And the movie also addresses access journalism because Ben mm-hmm. Bradley and Kay Graham, they were super tight with the Kennedys, yeah. and they're grappling over the, well, is this going to look partisan if we just all of a sudden go after Nixon because we were best friends with Kennedy? And there was things like that. And that's like a really reflective thing of today. I mean, if you want to say at least liberal bias, like type of a deal during the previous administration and now with the administration we have now, it's like, there's those, those things too that, you know, I really, really appreciate. Um, Merrill's character is perceived as like, you know, a, a pushover. Like she's prepared and ready to do this. Like from the, one of the very first scenes we see her, mm-hmm. she's getting ready to go to the meeting, but then she just kind of, I don't know, chokes? Yeah, kind of. Just, just gets talked over as she's consulting notes. And by the end of the movie, though, she makes that turn, and the camera does this really awesome thing where it shows her husband and her grandfather, and then the camera, like, peels away and turns, and then we see Streep kind of, like, finally taking her place as the Post's publisher, um, ready to take it public. And I thought that was, like, a really great turn. So I appreciated that. Um, but the movie is probably 10 minutes too long because it's really not about the characters. It's about the moment. Mm -hmm. And it leads up in the pinnacle of the apex of the movie is the Supreme court ruling or the court ruling of whether the post can continue to publish. And once we get there, it's kind of like, okay, the stakes were pretty high, but at the same time, we're never really made to felt feel that. So, at the end, I could have had used ten minutes shaving off, mm-hmm. but other than that, uh, this was a these are like these are five gr- greatest of all time people: Streep, Hanks, Spielberg. I don't know where I got five. Yeah, Williams and Williams Odenkirk and, and Odenkirk. <laughs> sure, um, the script by Liz Hanna was great, mm-hmm. and I really really liked it. Uh, so I'm going to give it four and a half out of five ticket okay. steps. There we go. So uh, one of your favorites of the year, basically, right? Yeah. Yeah. That'll put it. I mean, that'll put it right near the top when we okay. talk 2017. Perfect. Which we again, we'll probably get to, you know, in a month and a half or something. Not to think when Oscars season uh, or when the Oscars air. So, uh, do you have anything else you want to touch on with the post? I think I've pretty much covered everything I wanted to say mm-hmm. uh, outside of. Well, you said you mentioned you'd want to have 10 minutes shaved off. I think I'd want like the last five minutes just cut out completely because it's just like. Hanks and uh, Streep back to the office, business as usual, and you're like, 
oh no like it was it was kind of like that nice moment to like cherry like put the cherry on top but it was like all like you mentioned all that thrill was gone they had won i'm like just end it yeah well i was like, I, I didn't need their final you know conversation of like oh what are you doing like whatever one of the most beautiful shots of the movie is in that final walkout with the two where mm-hmm. they're strolling through the uh, press yeah. and the reams of paper mm-hmm. are just getting uh, moved from place to place. And I'm like, that is, yeah. that is really good. Uh, you'll see one perfect shot, clip that and tweet that out <laughs> at least uh, by the, the end of the month. Um, I will say the ending, the, <laughs> the sequel setup, Easter yeah, okay. egg. <laughs> so, so they, they, they end it with, you know, the, uh, the Watergate, break in yeah it's like do you like is that just like spielberg like saying oh mm-hmm. that this the pentagon paper was just the start of you know this movement basically or is that him actually being like i want to make a pentagon or not pentagon papers make a watergate movie next i don't think he would ever want to run over all the president's men which i really don't even think is that great of a movie at all it's just people it's just them calling around and oh anyway I don't think that's what Spielberg wanted, but it was also kind of like, hey, remember, doing work pays off, mm-hmm. and here's another moment for the Washington Post to steal the national spotlight with two Metro reporters. Right, but if he, if, I mean, if they did, if, he, if Spielberg announced, I'm doing that, I'm there. Yeah, absolutely. Like after this? Day one. Sure. Or, you know. Opening opening weekend, yes. Opening weekend when, on the, na- the ultimate national release, <laughs> <Yeah>. which <laughs> takes two and a half months. Exactly. Um, oh, another thing is, did you or did you not like the Nixon tape audio that they incorporated into the film? Was that his actual? That was his actual okay. voice. That makes more sense. I was like, because the whole time I was like, okay, I was like, either like this, either all of everything he's saying is just you know not actually accurate, and mm-hmm. it's all like them just thinking this is what Nick, Nixon would say. And then I was like, why aren't we? Why aren't they showing his face? Why are like? Why is it all just like? This is an exterior shot of a fake White House. I was like, so I didn't know that. I mean, I like that they went to that extent to uh, to incorporate the real life elements. So yeah, yeah. Um, and that is that is all I have. Okay. Other than just one final fawning over Meryl Streep just being terrific. Yeah. So okay. So there you go. Uh, four ticket stubs from me. Four and a half from Josh. That's all we have for our view of the post. We'll be right back in a bit with the news. And we're back with the news. And as we introduced last week, we're going to start off our news segment with Ticket or Skip It, our new segment where we analyze movie trailers and say whether or not we would buy a ticket for this movie or skip it. So uh, first up, we ha- got our first, uh, I don't know if we want to classify it as a teaser trailer or an actual trailer uh, for Teen Titans Go to the movies. Trailer teaser. I mean, it was, it was, a, it was a full, I'd, I'd say it's a teaser trailer. It's like a minute. Minute 20? Minute 24. Yeah. Minute 20-something. Teaser trailer. Um, Fair enough. Based on the Cartoon Network series of the same name, T-Titans Go, uh, has that whole voice cast returning in their roles to the big screen. And I will start off saying this would be a ticket Ooh. for me. Uh, it's not... It 
it was a tentative buy for a ticket. Like, okay. you know, somebody dropped me off a theater and I was like, I have to go see a movie. Yeah. I'll go see Teen Titans because okay. I liked where it started with the Wonder Woman joke and being like, people aren't here to see us. They want to, they love Wonder Woman. Let's give them more Wonder Woman. I was right. like, okay, good. Like it. Um, and then like the plot synopsis is basically like, uh, you know, Robin is seeing all the super movies being made. And he's like, the Teen Titans should may have one being made of them. So then they try to find this big hotshot Hollywood director to get themselves a movie. Okay. Uh, who, who's going to be voiced by Kristen Wiig. Uh, but then oh, like great. the, but then Robin's arch nemesis comes into the picture. Who's going to be voiced by, by Will Arnett. Um, none of that's in the trailer, but that's just, you know, the synopsis that came out in part with the trailer. So, um, so I liked that. And then it ends with a stinger. Be like, if Aquaman can get a movie, then why can't we? And I'm yeah. like, nice job. <laughs> Good job. Like Warner brothers, uh, whatever you want to say about them, they're not afraid to make fun of themselves yeah. with this trailer with Lego Batman. Right. Um, so I was like, okay, I hope that's what the whole movie is going to be. And it, it looks like they have, it's going to have some elements of it, but then like right in the middle, there's a 15 <laughs> second fart joke. And I'm just like, yeah. Oh yeah. This is a movie made for five year olds. <laughs> yeah. I mean, <laughs> you to keep that in mind. So that's why it's like a tentative ticket buy for me. Mm-hmm. Okay. Well, I mean, like, yeah, like you said, I mean, it's definitely a kid's movie. The DC, the DCU, as Jeff Johns called it two weeks ago. Did he? Well, in a tweet to, um, uh, to Walter Amata. Amata. Yeah. So I'm going to go with it. The, the, the DC universe. Those movies skew rated R PG-13, heavy PG-13 rated R. So yeah, Lego Batman, kid audience, Teen Titans Go!, Definitely a Saturday morning cartoons ten mm-hmm. year old audience, and you know what? I was okay with the I was okay with the butt fart joke. <laughs> it worked. Um, everything else around it was satirical, like Pixar style level of jokes where you can pick up on them if you get it, but if not, it's characters doing silly things, mm-hmm. so the kids will laugh. And I think with, with Will Arnett being included in there, his voice just being so deep and I don't know, it, not. Not out of place, but just when it shows up, it's di- his distinct style of voice acting mm-hmm. makes can make anything funny almost. So I, I'm definitely gonna love that, and yeah, of course, ticket. Okay, ticket. Uh, moving on to our next trailer, that'd be the second trailer for Blockers again. Another movie we haven't talked about on the podcast before. I didn't uh, know there was a first trailer. Yeah, yeah, there okay. was a trailer that came out a couple months ago. This one stars John Cena and Leslie Mann. And uh, Dave, uh, I can't remember his last name, but he's yeah, in Suicide Squad right. and he's in uh, The League, if you watch that. Um, and he was also in Neighbors 2, I think. Not the f- or it was the first Neighbors. I can't remember. But anyways, this movie's about parents who find out their kids want to have uh, sex on prom night and lose their virginity. And they decide they want to stop them. Uh, and it looks funny. I'd say, I'd say, again, it's a ticket for me just because it looks... It looks comedic. It starts with a good gag with the John Cena, uh, you know, finding the lingerie yeah. <laughs> uh, stuff, and then it ends with a really funny moment um, from I. Oh, it's Ike uh, Budenholz. Yes, I guess you got to pull it up here. I'm like, not Dave. No, it's not Dave. I was like, I don't know where Dave came from, but yeah, from Ike Budenholz, where he gets you know beer spouted into his mouth from John Cena's butt, and it's <laughs> like, you know, normally that wouldn't work, but for some reason Ike really sold it for me, and. Uh, because of those two, I, and I like Leslie Mann, that I'm like, all right, yeah, I will, I will see this movie. Mm-hmm. 
Okay. Well, I'll say this. I mean, I get it. Clever title. I love how they, they framed the whole movie poster and everything. Mm-hmm. That's, uh, that is clever. Leslie Mann is always funny. She has an all-time performance in George of the Jungle that cannot be topped. The Tarzan spoof with Brendan Fraser. She's in that? She's in that, yeah. She's Ursula. Nah. Yeah. That's wow. Leslie Mann. Uh-huh. Yeah, all-time all great performance. But you know what? It's not enough for me to – not enough to get me in the movie. Okay. Uh, I'm still not sold on John Cena. Daddy's home too. Good job. But he seems like the large selling point here, and I'm sorry. Skip it. Okay. Uh, moving on to Red Sparrow. Again, our second trailer for this one. Josh, do you take it or skip it? I'm ticket. Uh, you know what? What I was really surprised by with this trailer is it's focused on Jennifer Lawrence mm-hmm. and not Joel Edgerton, which the I did. The first trailer kind of was. Kind of was, but it was sort of like, here's something mysterious happening. Mm-hmm. Joel Edgerton, Jennifer Lawrence, she's an assassin. Yeah. The end. This is Jennifer Lawrence has a backstory. She didn't really want to be a KGB super spy. And now she's got motivations. She's got a mother who needs an operation. And, like, you know, all these things that are really going to make it a cool action movie thriller is probably the best way to say it. Because by the end of, end of this trailer, I don't know if she's, you know, in league with Joel Edgerton or she's just playing him to get, you know, further embedded as mm-hmm. a tripled agent or whatever the case is, you know, by the end of this. So, yeah. Definitely ticket. Yeah, it'll be a ticket for me as well. Uh, even though I do think it probably gave away a little more than I would have liked, okay, because it had you know those elements of like uh, Joel Edgerton, superior, whoever being like, we can't trust a word that comes out of her mouth. And you're like, okay, so obviously they know she's a spy. Yeah. So that comes out at one point, and then he is like pleading to her to be like, no, you don't have to do this. It's like, okay, like I feel like that's how a lot of these spy movies go. It's mm-hmm. spy goes after somebody. They find out that they're a spy. Now they have to figure out, oh, right. are, we're actually going to team up potentially, but can I trust them? Then third act is like, well, either do we trust them or don't we? Or, or should we trust them or shouldn't we? And it's like, okay, so it looks like it's going to go a little more traditional than I would have liked, but it still looks cool. It looks like uh, Jennifer Lawrence gives a pretty good performance here, and uh, it looks like some decent action as well. So uh, it's definitely a ticket for me. And then our last trailer, which is more of a TV spot, but also kind of classified as a final trailer for Black Panther. Uh, I will say I will buy several tickets okay. for this. So if you don't buy a ticket, I'll buy a ticket for you. Sure. Because I just want <laughs> I want all the tickets for this movie because uh, it just looks so good. Uh, and I liked that most of what we see, most of what we saw in this trailer, is really repurposed stuff that we'd already seen before. So mm-hmm. it wasn't like, wow, here's this breathtaking new crazy moment of action or some big huge twist reveal it's just like no it's, it's a lot of the same things you've seen before yeah but since the movie comes out in a month i'm already hyped for it i don't need to see anything new and i was like good and now i just want to see these mini snippets of scenes play out in their entirety and uh, i can't wait to do that yeah it's it's really what it is is not repackaged it's a really good way to say it they just add dialogue into scenes to help set the narrative back mm-hmm. up, which I think we could already, I mean, you and I have teased out probably extensively in some of the trailer breakdowns, but yeah, absolutely. It triples down on 
the mystery of Wakanda, the Wakanda, Wakanda. Thank you. The aesthetics, the Martin Freeman actually doesn't know what, at all what he's defending mm-hmm. at that point. I love that because that's the opening scene yeah. with him and um, Andy Serkis. So I was like, oh man, yeah. there's even more stuff that's gonna you know get unveiled when the curtain finally gets pulled back here. There's so much more Michael B. Jordan and Chadwick Boseman. So I am, yeah, I'm just, I'm just all on board for it. Ticket, ticket twice probably. So yeah, <laughs> it, I mean, but, and it seems like everyone else has yeah. completely agreed too. Pre-ticket sales have surpassed Civil War. So, yeah, any any other Marvel movie, it's, which is it's Fandango's best-selling MCU movie in the first 24 hours. That puts it at like 100 million, 150 million opening, right? Civil War opened to 179. Okay, so. If you want to say it's going to top that, that's that's a that's a pretty big number. Uh, box office tracking or projections are updated this week to have Black Panther pegged at 120, which I still think is a little too low. I still think it's going to be higher. Yeah, I do too. So the real question is, just to end this uh, ticket or skip it episode or portion, 150 million, over or under? Oh, over. Opening weekend. Yeah, I'm betting over, big time. I'm I'm leaning closer to over it still is kind of crazy to me that we could start off 2018 with 150 million dollar movie that would be that would be any other super movie that came out in 2017 it mm-hmm. would top guardians 2 it would top thor ragnarok it would top spider-man homecoming yeah. justice league that's that's wild and especially from a character that a lot of people still don't really know who black panther is these numbers indicate everybody's going to know in about a month. Yeah, I mean, culture writer Jamel Bowie thinks it's going to be bigger than Avengers. So I I have to I have to kind of agree. Really? Yeah. In terms of box office? In terms of opening uh, opening box office. You think it's going to open more? He thinks it's going to open more, and I'm inclined to agree. I'm, think, I'm thinking about uh, this. Get Out, one of the most... Yeah, that opened to 100. Yeah, okay. That is amazing. So then you take that right there. Yeah. And then you package that into Marvel. And then you package that into one of the coolest and most aesthetically pleasing superhero movies that I think I've seen to date. I I, I think it could come really close. So, I'm, it's going to have to do a lot more than 150. Yeah, it'll have to do 200 at least, yeah, right? Basically. Yeah, basically. I think I think it has a shot. I mean, I'm, not, I'm not saying I don't want it to happen. If it, right. if it tops Infinity... Here's the other thing. If it puts up $200 million and that movie ends with a tease of Infinity War mm-hmm. saying Black Panther and Wakanda return in Infinity War in three months, yeah, ticket sales and interest in Infinity War are only going to get higher right. because all those people who maybe didn't even, haven't seen the rest of the Marvel movies that turned out for Black Panther because he's the first Marvel black superhero to get his own movie, I think about it. Oh, his whole yeah. Now I want to go see this. So again, even if it goes two hundred, I think that means Infinity War goes two thirty. Yeah, I mean, think about it. His whole country is a centerpiece yeah. in Infinity War it's too. The, it that, looks like the big final battle. It is. It is Black Panther two or part two, kind right? Of really, you know, and in, in a lot of ways. So yeah, I I don't know. I just I think we should be prepared for something. Like explosive. Yeah, I get. I don't think it's out of the question to think they'll be similar, mm-hmm. but I still think any positivity Black Panther has is only going to help Infinity War, for sure. Unless Infinity War comes out and gets bad reviews or something, then be like, uh, right, don't want to see it. Yeah. So uh, that's it for uh, ticket or skip it. I had uh, 
all four tickets this week, and Josh, you had three tickets, one skip it. Mm-hmm. So uh, that brings us on to the news, and we're going to start off with a report from Deadline where they revealed this week that Legendary has signed Millie Bobby Brown on to star and produce in a franchise where she will play Enola Holmes, the younger sister to Sherlock Holmes. Uh, project is based on Nancy Springer's novel series called in- Enola Holmes Mysteries. Yep. Uh, what do you think of Millie Bobby Brown, the f- uh, friend of the show, yeah. <laughs> uh, potentially playing Enola Holmes? Uh, fantastic. I mean, Benedict Cumberbatch is who I think of as, as Sherlock Holmes mm-hmm. right now in my mind. And as soon as I read this, I'm like, uh, yeah, of course Millie Bobby Brown is like, you know, Sherlock Jr. Right. You know, Enola Holmes. Um, it, obviously, they won't be set in the present because the novels are in the Victorian era. Right. But she is the perfect fit for it. Um, her, I mean, I don't know if it's because she plays sort of her Stranger Things character is a little not disconnected from reality, but a little idiosyncratic, or mm-hmm. you know, um, has her own little like way of going about things. Yeah. So like that translated to. I don't know how Enola Holmes is portrayed in the um, books here, yeah. but I got to imagine it's a little bit sort of headstrong and um, a little bit of a peculiar attitude like her you know, older brother. I believe, if I remember hearing or reading this correctly, that she becomes like an orphan after her mother... Takes up like, and leaves for the Amazon or something yeah, or it's like, like that. Yeah, it's like kidnapped or killed or something, so then... She becomes a detective trying to find her mom. Okay. So I don't know if that's the plot that they will do for the first movie, um, or what. But but it's all and it's all because she runs away from home, and because mm-hmm. I, I I read the wiki here. Okay. And um, it says that Sherlock Watson and Minecraft all go at, go like go after her. Yeah. So this movie's even got you know cameos <laughs> yeah. for the world's greatest detective. So like they could even have fun casting those and you know if this how, crossing over you could bring I don't think it's the same studio that does the WB Junior ones. WB does Warner Brothers does. Did they do the art the Rob Downey Junior? Yeah, one? they did. So there you go. Um, this that'd is the be, way to breathe awesome. life back into that. That would be so cool. And Jude Law I'd be, could show yeah, up. Yeah, we super down for Rob Downey Junior. and Jude Law, and even Numi Rapace, you know, popped up. Especially, oh yeah, absolutely. Wait, Numi Rapace? Yeah, she's in the second one. What, what role does she have? Oh, because she she's, is she's like Watson's the, she's husband the, she, or wife. No, she's like the she's like the witch that helps him out. Oh, okay, I don't remember it's that. A, it's a, yeah, I don't. I watched it like a couple of weeks ago that's okay. the only reason i remember she was in the movie Fair to begin enough. with but uh but yeah i think this is a great idea too like i'm excited to see more millie bobby brown mm-hmm. because again we've only seen her in stranger things right but, you know there's this there's those rumors of chronicles of narnia she's going to be in godzilla 2 next year yep again with legendary so obviously they have liked what she did there if they're gonna give her her own franchise where she's also going to produce at you know age 14 or whatever so like right uh it's pretty crazy i'm excited to see what they're going to do with this and i think she can really nail that uh detective aspect of it it makes total it makes total sense to me that legendary instead of maybe doing a sherlock holmes 3 with rob dine jr and jude law or whoever Mm -hmm. that they'll do something different and they'll go young female sherlock because that just it seems like a seems like a smart business move on their end. Yeah, I mean, absolutely. The one of the most iconic child actor right now. Mm-hmm. So, uh, moving on to another iconic person, 
uh, when we talked about during our post review, that'd be John Williams. He confirmed this week to Variety that he is returning to score Star Wars Episode Nine. No surprise there, but Josh, you are dancing. Yes, I'm just so glad. I just now let's get this movie done before anything can go wrong. Okay, um, John is pushing 90s. Yeah, so, he's, he's getting up there. Which I cannot believe the man is still scoring films at the age of 90 mm-hmm. without skipping a single beat yeah. you know no pun intended um i mean he's just just in the post as i was i didn't know he scored the movie until it was over mm-hmm. but i was like this this is a john williams score when um odin kirk was just running through the uh post after getting oh, yeah. the papers in there i was like oh yeah this is it this mm-hmm. is it it's got to be him and it I don't know. He just lifts movies up and episode nine needs him because mm-hmm. he, it does. It's, and it's, it's star, not Star Wars without him. It's a, it's a sky. It's a episodic Star Wars entry. Mm-hmm. Williams has done all eight. Why would you not have do nine as long as he is, a, you know, able and willing? Yeah. He's clear. He's able currently. Hopefully that remains that way for the next couple of years, but also like, why would Williams not want to finish this trilogy? The reason he said that he came back for eight was because he doesn't want anybody else to do the theme for Ray. Right. So like he obviously has that kind of like selfish, like, uh, no, this is mine. I'm mm-hmm. going to do this. And nobody else will, um, which I, which I like. And just the thought um, where episode eight leaves off going into nine, the potentially crazy big scenes that Williams will get us play with. Uh, I'm I'm super excited for like I can't wait to hear like he's already done pretty great scores and themes for you know Ray and Kylo yep but I'd love to see you know Poe get one or Finn get one um, and then hear his epic music when you know Kylo and Ray obviously clash again right. like come on what's yeah what what is what is he gonna set to the final shots you know and as then, the like, sun goes down on this franchise and you know and the credits roll for the final time uh yeah so i don't know it's just it's nostalgia yeah taking me over here but well, it's also the greatest composer and of our of, of you know of our generation of a lifetime so right it's like mozart i guess well there was also the report a couple weeks ago we never talked about that he is doing the theme for han solo so the i can't remember the guy's name but the person who scored how to train your dragon he is scoring the whole movie but they, but Williams is coming to, to do a theme for Han Solo since he never gave Han a theme in the original trilogy. Oh. So, uh, again, like if Williams, I don't know if Lucasfilm offered that to him or if Luke, or if he was like, "Hey, I'd love to do this." Yeah, Lucasfilm's not going to say no to John Williams. Nobody's going to say no to John Williams. So, no. uh, I, yeah, again, it's not surprising in the slightest. That is so cool. I'm and I, I would, I would be interested to see if. If he's still around, if they would bring him in for Obi Wan too. Oh, I hope so. I really do. But uh, we'll see. Because that being, uh, uh, yeah, Rogue yeah. Rogue One and Han Solo or Solo Star Wars Story, they both have different composers. So if they continue that trend, then you would think that that third anthology movie would not have John Williams. Yep, December thirtieth by Variety. He's yeah. gonna do the solo theme. That's so cool. Yeah. Um, so moving on to Quentin Tarantino. Deadline revealed this week that Leonardo DiCaprio is in star to or is in talks to star in Tarantino's ninth new film. DiCaprio will reportedly play an aging actor uh, in a film set in 1969 Los Angeles, 
where the Manson murders will be the talk of the town. Um, you know, a lot of plot deals are kind of being kept under wraps, but they've been comparing it to Pulp Fiction, um, but also the likes of Margot Robbie, Tom Cruise, and Al Pacino are all being eyed for roles. We don't know who they would play or if they'll even do it the movie, um, but as far as DiCaprio is concerned, this will be a second team up with Tarantino after Django Unchained, and based on his performance there, and DiCaprio's performances basically throughout his entire career, mm-hmm. I think it makes all the sense in the world for him to team back up with Tarantino, and I'm excited for it. So it's not a film about the murders. It's just set to the background of it. Yes. Okay, because so I was that, wondering. That'll be like basically playing behind everything, all the events that are happening. Oh, man. What a dastardly way to go about it, Quentin. Uh, but, yes, I mean, I know this isn't the right segment, but ticket already. <laughs> uh the, I mean, Jang, his his performance in Django, like just the fun that seems to be happening on the set of Quentin Tarantino movies, especially Django Unchained, mm. especially in those that third act, um, right before the just the all out shootout with everybody, mm. um, yeah, and then then the potentials there. This could be a good. T- this could be the. This could be you know my great Tom Cruise movie. You know yeah. he gets in it. Imagine. Which I just watched Minority Report last night. That's a great one. It is a great movie. See? I've never seen it before. Re- Loved it. Colin Firth as well. Oh, Colin Firth is awesome. Yeah. I think Max Moncito. I think he's probably great. the best part though. Is he the best part? Colin Firth? Yeah. Mm, he's pretty good. But I mean, it's Tom Cruise's movie so it's kind of hard to be like uh, you're, you're not the best part. But I love the concept of it. Anyway. Tom Cruise in a Quentin Tarantino movie is enough to make me think because it would be the first variation on the guy. When was the last time Tom Cruise didn't play the hero? Uh, Magnolia. Okay, yeah. Which was 90s, mm, right? Yeah, late 90s, early 2000s. Quentin isn't going to just bring him in so Tom Cruise can save the day. Probably not. Unless Tom Cruise is playing Tom Cruise in this movie. That would be kind of awesome. But it would be set 50 years from like, so that would be interesting. Uh, I mean, I'd be okay with that. Yeah, <laughs> I don't be, think it works out. If he's playing some but... actor on the set, then DiCaprio like <laughs> loses his mind and like brutally. Murmur. Okay, there's just so many opportunities here. All right. Yes. Uh, moving on to a report from the Wrap, where they revealed that Sony is in talks with Vin Diesel to star in Bloodshot, the first movie based on Valiant's comics. Uh, the film will start a five-film shared universe plan at Sony. It's going to be helmed by Blur Studios' Dave Wilson, the same studio that Tim Miller came from, and it is um, the movie is based on a script from Arrival's Eric Heiserer, the Oscar winner. Um, and for anybody who doesn't know, Bloodshot is a soldier resurrected with nanotechnology who hunts down super soldier or super powered outcasts. Jared Leto was previously being courted for the part uh, prior to these new talks with Diesel. It is intended to be an R-rated, very hard R uh, superhero movie. Ooh. Do you think that Diesel's a good choice? I he wasn't he wouldn't be my pick, but he's definitely a good pick if you want these movies to have worldwide appeal. Yeah. I mean, Fast and Furious films they do a billion and a half, or not a bit. They do like a billion yeah. worldwide, and that's who you want if you want to sell this in every market ever because Vin Diesel. And the Rock Johnson are probably the two most recognizable action heroes right now. Maybe was out of like Bruce Willis and Tom Cruise. Tom Cruise. So there you go. And Tom Cruise is clearly busy. So yeah, but I'm more excited about the Valiant comics. Finally, get to get mined for 
all their characters mm-hmm. they have in them. They're they're all so zany and fun. Um, one of my favorite writers, Daniel Kimball Smith, did like a comedy variation of them called Valiant High, and okay. it, it's all yeah, it's it's also great. And I would be super stoked to see this, you know, happen. Bloodshot is the uh, gym teacher who is just <laughs> who's like uh, just playing like playing dodgeball. So <laughs> it uh yeah, it's pretty good. Anyway. Yes. Are you? What do you think of this? Sony picking up on a shared universe here. Not surprising that they. I mean, I think the, their plans to do a Valiant shared universe have been out there for about a year. Okay. Um, but I am surprised that they're going out. I'm kind. I'm half surprised they're going after Diesel to lead. I understand the star recognition part of it as well as it's being produced by um, one of the producers from Fast and Furious. So obvi- why wouldn't they just mm-hmm. bring Diesel over? help booster uh or boost that box office over there too um but he's all vin diesel's 50 the movie's not gonna shoot for probably a year um and then if he if bloodshot's supposed to be a part of all five movies you're looking at like a decade long role for diesel and you you want him to be some super soldier in the 60s i don't um Ironically enough, when this first came out, I was like, oh, they should have got Jason Statham if they're going to pull from Fast and Furious. That, because he needs his own action franchise. But then I found out that Jason Statham is also 50. And I was like, that's that's kind of crazy. Um, so I'm, I'm surprised they're going this old um, for the role. I mean, 50 is not super old, but it's older than you would think for a potential lead figure in an action franchise. So... Uh, we'll see if this closes. If it does, won't surprise me, and I understand why Sony's doing it. But if it were me, like you said, I would probably pick somebody else. Yeah, but it's only five films, so I would mm-hmm. imagine they would do one every year. Potentially. Potentially. But you don't want to get into that point where you do the first movie and you already have the sequel coming out the year after, and then it's like, well, we can't stop the sequel because we already it's already filmed. Mm-hmm. We've already spent you know tens of millions of dollars on this movie so we have to make it hit theaters even if the first one flops so i wonder how grounded it'll be i don't know i would imagine decently grounded just because i mean otherwise uh if it gets too big too crazy then that r-rated budget's gonna be pushed up even more be hard to turn profit on a property that not a lot of people are aware of yeah with. so it'd probably have to fall in that 50 million range i would which, i would if i were sony i would try to do it for like 30 yeah so that makes it more more riskable i would say yeah okay. absolutely um but moving on to another super movie that is going to happen potentially uh the rap revealed this week that marvel has hired female blacklist writer jack schaefer to pen a script for a black widow solo movie starring scarlett johansson the long time coming uh, Variety's Justin Kroll later revealed that the two women are scheduled to sit down in the coming weeks to discuss their visions for such a film. This doesn't necessarily mean it's greenlit. It does not necessarily mean it's happening, but this is definitely the closest Marvel Studios has come to being like, we are doing this. They're actually writing a script. Um, you know, Apparently, Kevin Feige met with Schaefer and multiple other women uh, before making the decision. Then he'd met with Scarlett before even that to make sure she was so interested in doing a solo movie. And... If they're working on a script now, I would tend to believe this is going to be one of their 2020 movies, which means then, starting this year, you would have Ant-Man and the Wasp, a movie co-led, 
and co-titled with a female superhero. Yep. Next year of Captain Marvel, led by uh, the first solo female movie from Marvel. Mm-hmm. First movie co-directed by a female as well. You after that, Black Widow. Yep. Again, female-led movie. Female writer. I would hope that they get a solo female director on it as well. Um, maybe somebody like uh, Kelly Freeman Craig from Edge 17. I'm just pushing her for everything. Yeah, just get go. her out there. Um, but yeah, I'm, I'm totally psyched about this. I think it's it's. I'm surprised it's happening now and didn't happen three or four years ago. But better late than never. <laughs> right. Yeah. I mean, I don't know what. <clears throat> has been taking i mean they've just kind of finally finished their avengers arc of things so i mean they didn't really posit anything unexpected into that slate that mm-hmm. they hadn't farmed out to sony with right. S- spider-man that was the only big shifting gears mm-hmm. outside of you know the inhumans losing its uh place right so but yeah i mean you've you've had scarlett johansson become one of one of the highest paid, the yeah. highest paid actress in the movie business. It's either her or J-Law. Yeah. I don't know, camera which top, one. He's top two or top three. Mm-hmm. All right. And you've relegated her. To, I mean, you've been paying her $50 million a movie. So, okay, not that not much. Not that but, much. That's Rob Downey Jr. territory. Right. You've been paying her tens of millions of dollars to play a side character mm-hmm. in your films. T- time to get her her own movie. Um, Jack Schaefer also, I mean, the blacklist is good, by the way. At least the first season. Oh, sorry, that's not. Uh, she is a blacklist screenwriter, so she comes from. She she writes scripts that are oh, awarded snap. blacklist. So got it. I didn't even know blacklist was like a series. Oh yeah, or something. it's an NBC show. Okay, well, all right. It's, it's that not makes that. sense why it wasn't on her IMDb. Yes, <laughs> yeah. She she wrote and directed this movie called Timer. Okay, uh, that was her directorial debut, like in two thousand and nine or something, I yep. think. And then. Um, she wrote a script called the, uh, the shower mm-hmm. that Anne Hathaway liked and signed on to star in where it's an alien invasion that happens during a bridal shower. Oh, man. Um, and then she also is, she also wrote the script for Anne Hathaway's uh, dirty rotten scoundrels, all female remake, nasty women. So she has credits coming in. But nothing major to her name yet. Plus one on Olaf's Frozen Adventure. Yeah, that's right. So she has the Disney connection as well. Yeah. Well, anyway. um, Okay. So Olaf's Frozen Adventure is a great. (laughs) Now this is the. We're pivoting here. Yes. Is a great short, but it just shouldn't have been in front of Coco. Okay. Yes. That's that's all I have to say about that. But anyway, Black Widow standalone movie. It's about time, and it sounds like. Jack Schaefer is an up-and-coming writer. Mm-hmm. I haven't seen Timer, but The Shower sounds awesome. Sounds great, yeah. And Nasty Women sounds awesome. I mean, Anne Hathaway-led, I put her in any project. I think project. it's like her and Rebel Wilson. Oh, that's a great pairing. I think. I, <laughs> I'm not sure about that. I need Rebel Wilson is done with Pitch Perfect, and she needs to mean lots of things right. now. What do you want this, or where do you want this movie to take place? Because there's people who be like, oh, this means she's making out of Avengers 4 Live. Not necessarily. We're not going to have time to cover them, but there were really interesting set pictures um, from Avengers 4 that could hint towards you know time travel or some very interesting elements there in terms of how the story is going to play out. But just because this movie is getting a script doesn't mean that the movie is going to take place after Avengers 4. It could very well be a prequel. So would you rather it be a prequel and get more of like her origin story, go to Budapest and have her and Hawkeye's oh, adventure? Yeah. Or do you want to see 
a post Avengers four movie where Black Widow is just back to being a spy. I think it needs to be a prequel. I mean, okay. an origin story in a lot of ways, especially what is Natasha Romanoff's past that Loki is like, you know, holding yeah, over her, her head. Ledger. Yeah. yeah, exactly. That would be something super interesting. But depending on how the rest of the universe unfolds, a Black Widow standalone film, you know, that's a little bit more grounded after, you know, a cosmic adventure that wreaks havoc on. 30 different people, you know, and all sorts of things like that. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think that would be very much needed in the post-Infinity War, you know, scene. I could definitely see it being a prequel because then you could you have a bunch of ways you could go with it. You could do Budapest and bring Hawkeye in. You could go back to her days as a Russian spy. And they have that um, exchange in Winter Soldier where she mentions that she previously encountered Bucky. So you oh, could yeah. bring um, Sebastian Stan in for that. Or, you know, there's people who think Avengers 4 can involve the scrolls because they're being introduced in Captain Marvel, and then Black Widow's a scroll, so you could do an or you could do a movie set way before that shows how she became a scroll. Like that would be something interesting you could do. Um, but personally I'd rather it be a post uh, Avengers 4 yeah. movie because I think it just offers a better chance for uh, I don't know, for the universe to move forward. And I like the idea that after Avengers 4 we're going to get Spider-Man Homecoming 2, mm-hmm. so we're going to go way small scale, yep. and so Peter Parker trying to be a high school student after battling an intergalactic god, and then we're going to get Guardians 3, go crazy in space, again, showing the repercussions of everything Thanos did, but then you could do, go smaller again, and just do Black Widow and be like, all right, you know, after everything Thanos did, you know, governments are in uh, disarray, and there's secrets leaking all over the place, and it's up to Black Widow to go stop something from leaking in order to get one of those leaks yeah i'm like that that would i think be the direction i would go if i were marvel but uh we'll have plenty of time probably to figure out where they're gonna go with this movie so uh no rush on that and there may not be a rush on this next one either with collider revealing that deadpool director tim miller is currently developing a kitty pride solo movie uh what do you think about this one that's Ellen Page's character, Shadowcat, right? Yes. Okay. Probably not going to return her, though. Probably not. Hmm. The story is going to be everything about this. Mm-hmm. But, according to some comics, she has a dragon pet named Lockheed, right? Yeah. Find a way to get that dragon in the in this movie. That's, the, <laughs> that uh, awesome. that's the dragon that eventually becomes th- to the possession of Magic, who's the New Mutants who is played by um, the girl from Split, Anya Taylor-Joy. Yes, okay. Um, so there's interesting connections that, that you could be at play there. But I don't think that's necessarily where they would go. But they could they could bring in Lockheed, sure. Yeah, okay. But yeah, I'm, I'm definitely about it. She seems like a kick-butt character, phasing through walls and mm-hmm. all sorts of things like that. So I don't know what the take would be. Right. But with Especially with Tim Miller directing Mm -hmm. but yeah sign me up okay yeah i um i don't know that just feels like a weird parent pairing like tim miller doesn't strike me as the guy that to direct a kitty pride solo movie Mm -hmm. kitty pride also doesn't necessarily strike me as a character who needs a solo movie (laughs) at this point right um which again i don't think this movie is even probably going to happen honestly because tim miller is currently going to do he's gearing up to do terminator 6 this year 
that movie comes out in like August or September, like late 2019. So that like, he's not going to start filming this movie anytime soon. So unless he's going to develop a script and develop the project to pass it off to somebody, then maybe has a shot. But there's also the Disney deal looming. Once that's completed by the end of this year, middle next year, I think a lot of these in-development Fox projects get canned or totally shifted or go to their streaming service or something drastically different happens to them. So I am not really getting interested in this movie because I don't think it's happening. So it's like, okay, good for you, Tim Miller. Maybe he'll develop a really awesome script that then Marvel can like turn out to use as some way to help reboot the X-Men in the MCU. Like maybe that's how this will ultimately play out. Then I'd be fine with that. So sounds good to me. Um, sticking with the X-Men, that stupid, stupid gambit movie. Oh gosh. They fooled me once. And I was like, no, never going to be fooled again. And then something good happened. I was like, all right, not going to believe you. Right. Gore Verbinski. But then they're like, okay, we're getting Lizzie Kaplan on. We're going to gear up to start filming. I'm like, okay, mm-hmm. Gambit's happening. It's, ha- it's going forward. Even though I'd sa- I said a year and a half ago on the podcast, whenever it was, I'm like, I don't believe this movie's happening until I'm going to be in the theater <laughs> and the credits are rolling at the end. But I abandoned that stance wrongly because the Howard Reporter revealed that Gore Verbinski is leaving Gambit. So he's the third director to leave the project. Uh, and as I mentioned, it's late. It was slated to begin shooting in March. Mm-hmm. Uh, surely it's going to be delayed. Yeah. There's no way. There's no way it's going to continue. And uh, there's also no word on if Lizzie Kaplan will now stay involved because if she signed on for Verbinski's vision or if she, she may not even have closed her deal yet. And now if they lost another director, she's probably not going to sign off that director. And the movie previously had Leia Sadoe locked down. She left after Doug Lyman left. Now Lizzie Kaplan probably is going to leave after Gore Verbinski leaves. I'm going back to my stance. It's been like, this movie's never going to happen. Yeah, I, I, I really don't know. Nobody wants to star in a movie or direct a movie with Channing Tatum. I, I, I don't get it. Channing Tatum's great. I mean, I don't, I cannot, I wonder what the deal is then. Why Verbinski would leave unless it was getting pushed already? Well, it, Perhaps. it, did, it did get pushed, but I don't think that's why he we left. Don't, we don't have any other internal chatter, do we? I, there was a report from Deadline who said it was scheduling conflicts. That's baloney. Verbinski doesn't have anything else on his schedule. So. Does he have anything in post? or produ- I mean, you know. I don't think so. Any scripts? Or- I mean, I think A Cure for Wellness was his last movie, and I don't think he had doing anything after that before he was supposed to do Gambit, obviously, because he was supposed to start filming it in you know, a month and a half. So I, I really, I really just don't get it. Um, if since now that they need another director, they've lost uh, Doug Lyman, they lost Gore Verbinski and mm-hmm. who's the other one? Rupert Wyatt. Was he the, was he the first one? I think, I think that was, I think it was Rupert yeah, Wyatt. That sounds right. Um, do you have any suggestions for who should take over? I think we were in the same situation about, Six months ago. Yeah. Uh, um, geez. Somebody else just lost their directorial job this week. So it seemed like a good pairing. Uh, James Mangold lost his Fox movie. Yeah. Why not James Mangold direct this? Um, he obviously took put a great genre spin with on Logan. Mm-hmm. And it turned out to be one of the 2017's best films. So why not him jump on board with this with Gambit? 
but would you rather him do this or X23? X23. Yeah. Yeah. I'm sure he but, does you as know, well. <laughs> I'm just throwing things out here, okay, I guess. All but right. I don't have any I don't have any serious suggestions because unless, you know, Steven Soddenberg would be the only person that I could that was think the, of. That well, was one of mine. All right. Well, well, who else you got? Do you have any other? Uh, one that I mentioned, I believe, last year okay. as well before Forbinski signed on and right after Lyman left, Guy Ritchie. Yeah. I he mean, he, he can't do it current. I mean, he. Since it's going to be delayed, mm-hmm. that could give him a shot. But he's currently doing Aladdin, so he's not—he's not—he's not currently free. Um, Are they still in photography for that? Mm-hmm. And then yeah. he's got to do post, and you know he's going to be wrapped up in that till next summer, mm-hmm. next spring. So uh, it's probably not in the cards. Um, pun not intended uh, right. with Gambit there, but. <laughs> Uh, I think I think both Guy Ritchie and Steven Soderbergh would both be excellent. Um, you know, speaking of Soderbergh, Oceans talked about Molly's game last week being very oceany. Aaron Sorkin, and he supposedly spoke to Marvel in DC about yeah. you know working on I'll, a project. I would not hate that. <laughs> I would not hate that either, at all. I would. It would be a big jump for Sorkin to go from. Drama to now $180 million <laughs> right. crazy Gambit movie. Um, five times the budget. him doing New Orleans dialogue with Channing Tatum and his you know quick cutting that he introduced with Molly's Game yeah. and some sort of heist comedy seems like a pretty solid pairing to me oh, on I the mean, surface. I'm just I'm just imagining Sorkin losing his mind on set, though. Oh, he would probably hate it. Um, I think so. Um, but I don't know who else. Like maybe like Adam McKay. Uh, he's busy. Danny Boyle. I'm just looking through a list of directors I have up here. Um, I think both of those would be interesting choices if they want to go really crazy. Go Bong Joon Ho, director of Snowpiercer and Okja. Uh, that'd be pretty wild and pretty fun. Even uh, man, if Ann Bowden and Ryan Fleck weren't busy with Captain Marvel. Yeah, this would be their movie Mississippi too. Mississippi Grind. Just yeah, throw exactly. Gambit in. It's, yeah, it's a perfect choice. Uh, Duncan Jones. Be interesting. Yeah, well, he's and gotta throw it out there. It's the heist movie, fresh off Baby Driver. Edgar Wright. If you really want to make a splash, Fox with a fun two leads, especially go, if Lizzie Kaplan's still go there. Just absolutely insane. I think uh, obviously Edgar Wright would kill it. Uh, with this, other suggestions, looking at Christopher McQuarrie, if you want to go Mission Impossible a little bit. Um, F. Gary Gray. I mean, there's there's a lot of interesting choices. Credit I'll, Gertwig. No? Am I projecting? I can't see her I mean, taking this project. It's a, it's, a, it's, a, it's a super big leap from an ultra-personal film that she just did. So, yeah. What about uh, Justin Lin? My suggestion for, what was it, Star Wars 9? What did I suggest Justin Lin for that we didn't get? No idea. I think it was Star Wars 9. Okay. But could take him. Yeah, he would do great. Um, who else do we got here? I don't know. Do you have any other ones coming to mind? Wame Colette Sarah? He's yeah. Interesting. He yeah. Could, he could do that. Um, but not man. I've got – I'm kind of – I don't know. Um, Jordan Volt Roberts, I'm sure, would do something very interesting if, he, <laughs> if they gave him this option. And I think that's probably all the options I have here. Yeah, I'm out too. So, uh, who knows? Taylor Sheridan, if you want to go really different. 
do a Hell or High Water movie starring Gambit. Uh, I could get on board for that. That so. would work. I think I think that's what Fox needs at this point. Clearly, whatever they're doing and trying to make, it's it's a disconnect between directors and either producers or directors and Tatum. Yeah. Maybe, I don't know, maybe Tatum's just not the guy for this because even though he may be passionate about it, he may just have a vision that no director wants to meet, so... Right, and I who mean, knows? But what would he have on the movie? Is he, is he producing in any aspect, or I am not sure. I don't believe he is. Actually, no. Yes, he is. Okay. Him um, and his production house are producing it, so it's him and his production partner man, are both serve as producers. So, um, I, I so they both have power. You know, um, D Reeves. My oh. director. It's a southern movie. Uh, it, that's it's another big jump too. I understand there's a difference between ten million to a hundred million. Right. But I don't. I, I would like that. That aesthetic. I mean, you're going for. I could get behind that. Yeah, I could absolutely get behind that. Um, but we did mention that Gambit is getting delayed. Fox uh, right. revealed a series of changes to X Men slate, courtesy of the Hollywood Reporter. And starting with Gambit, as we already mentioned, it is getting pushed from February 14th, 2019 to June 7th, 2019 uh, for reasons described as Fox sees as a heavily comedic movie that they think will play better in the summer other than, you know, Valentine's Day. So if that reasoning is correct, okay. Maybe explains why Gore Verbinski wasn't the right choice. He's not necessarily the most comedic guy out there. Uh, The Pirates movies are fun and have comedic elements, but if it's a full-on comedy or something or skews more in that direction. Mm -hmm. Then maybe that explains that. Uh, But the two two bigger ones, Deadpool 2 moved up two weeks, go from June 1st to May 18th. And then uh, that was in an attempt reportedly to avoid Solo's second weekend. They would rather Deadpool's second weekend be Solo's opening weekend than have Deadpool 2's opening weekend be Solo's second weekend because Solo and if it follows the path of other Star Wars movies, we'll have a very strong second weekend yep. and would absolutely hurt Deadpool's opening. So instead, Deadpool can open big the week before, then have its a smaller second weekend, which still, I think, hurt it equally. But um, do you have thoughts on that? Phil Lord and Chris Miller can also direct Gambit. Gambit. Sure. Maybe. Go full circle. Yeah, why not? Anyway, uh, no thoughts. Um, no thoughts at all. I mean, it, I think I, I completely agree with the analysis. I don't actually. like. I don't like this. You don't. I don't like this. Okay. Um, because Infinity War comes out May fourth. Mm-hmm. Means we get two weeks before we get another superhero movie. Yep. I just think it's too soon. Like I remember two years ago when we when X Men Apocalypse came out three weeks after Civil War, we did our preview episode and we were both us like. We're just like not even interested in this movie. <laughs> We're not excited for it. That maybe because of Apocalypse and its marketing and the quality of the movie it ended up being, but also because we had just basically saw this huge comic movie. Do we really want to see another one like this so closely after? Right. Um, so that that worries me a little bit. Um, I mean, I don't say it worries me, but I just don't like that it's so close because I'd rather if we're gonna start getting. 12 comic book movies a year or whatever let's get them like a month or three weeks apart not a week right after each other like that's just it's too soon um but i think it does show uh a little bit more confidence from fox to be like 
Yeah. We're going to go toe-to-toe with Solo, basically. Mm-hmm. Which, again, has already sparked those rumors of, oh, should Lucasfilm push Solo? Right. I think they should push it a couple weeks. Just get get some... Uh, I don't know, get some extra room. Give yourself a little more time because we're almost in February, which means we have three months till this movie comes out and we still have a trailer. We don't. I just well, thought of that. So It's got to be coming this week. It's got to be the next two weeks. Super Bowl is the latest. Super Bowl is Super Bowl's in two weeks. It's got to be Super Bowl. Oh, wait, no. Super Bowl's in three weeks. Wait. So, uh, it's, it's the... It's the division or it's the conference round currently next mm-hmm. week's the ch- uh, conference finals. Then there's the Pro Bowl and then there's so, – so, yeah, it's three weeks away. It's the first week of February, whatever yeah. that means. Um, so, February, yeah. yeah, Super Bowl. The Super Bowl is it's – there's going to be a teaser trailer, full trailer with the Super Bowl. But they're all – I mean, but Deadpool 2 still only has that one teaser. Mm-hmm. It's got it's to get – now they've moved up two more weeks. It's got to get that full trailer out there. Yeah. I, it is it is going to be a mind exploding marketing dash mm-hmm. these next few months for both for these movies three tentpole franchise films. Mm-hmm. Not to mention everything else is going to be sprinkled around it. Right. So, thanks. Um, and if they're going to move it, I would rather them move it up even further, go ahead of Infinity War, um, because they pushed New Mutants ten months. Oh my! A movie that's supposed to come out in April. They push it to February twenty second of twenty nineteen, which is infuriating. Actually, it sucks. Yeah. This is so dumb. Like Fox, do you not understand what you're doing? It is oh. New Mutants is literally your most interesting X movie that's coming out this year, or was supposed to come out this year. Yeah, and you just pushed it ten months because of what they like. The reports of, oh, they didn't want overlap between the overseas markets of New Mutants and Deadpool. Who cares? They're totally... They're, one's a horror movie, for one. One's a comedy. They both will, would probably be R-rated. But if you if you really are worried about that, push Dark Phoenix back six months. You know, um, Simon Kingberg's already talked about how, oh, we need extra time to get these visual effects right on Phoenix. Give them... Give them way more time. Mm-hmm. Give them the benefit. Instead, they're like, oh, no, we don't want to cross over Deadpool and New Mutants. They don't want to have them in theaters at the same time or worried about mixed marketing them. Yeah. And then, like, some people are saying it's to make it's to make New Mutants more scary. What? Other people are saying it's to make it less scary. So I don't know what's happening. And this was one of my most testing movies of the year. So mm-hmm. I'm like, ah! Yeah, it's, it is, it's almost like uh, they are chickening out with what they did. Yeah, Josh Boone's final. I mean, I don't know. Josh Boone hasn't said anything because he's he's a pros pro. Mm-hmm. But well, what's the deal? I mean, ten months is that's huge. That's that's the time you could schedule a movie, shoot it, edit it, and put it out there. You could shoot New Mutants two right now. Yeah, and have both movies come out the same day at this mm-hmm. point. It's insane. It, completely wild. So I don't know why they would do that. I mean, there there are those reasons, and maybe they should be taken at face value. Maybe. We just, I just, but I can't comprehend why you wouldn't push it till just the end of the year, even. Right. I mean, why not drop it in yeah. October, November? It's a horror movie. Put it in August. Horror film time. P- put it in September, where it dominated. Mm-hmm. You put new yeah. events there. If it's good, 
It'll, it would make tons of money this year. And again, since New Mutants was delayed, Fox has that basically a gap in their release schedule. Why not put Deadpool 2 up in April where it could then get a month's run before another comic book movie? Yeah, unabridged. And we saw when Deadpool opened up 2016 as the first comic book movie, it crushed. $132 million opening weekend, went on to make $800 million worldwide or something. Yep. Now, it's going to be going up in the third weekend of Infinity War, which, let's just say Infinity War, as you mentioned earlier, let's say it makes 230 opening weekend. Let's say it has a 60% drop-off. It opens to, second weekend's 110, $100 million even. We'll go $100 million even. Has another 50% drop-off. That's still $50 million, roughly, 40 to $50 million, we could call Infinity War, that Deadpool 2 is going to have to contend with in its opening weekend. Yep. There's no way that Deadpool 2 is going to make more money opening weekend in this May slot because people will, have, will still be going to see Infinity War. People will be gearing up to go see Solo the week after. Why not push it up a couple more weeks? Because I can't imagine this movie is so CGI heavy all of a sudden that they don't have enough time to get the VFX finished. It's going to be done in April probably. Why not release it in April, make everybody happy, and then Fox and come up with a bang kickstart the summer season? I it it is beyond me because that all sounds. I mean, there are so many ways you could shake this out and have it come up better than what they did here. Yeah, and the new mutants thing is most particularly infuriating. Yeah, it's it's super super frustrating. So I mean, I really do hope it's just exactly well, what they said, and it's not at all. We just hated what Boone came up with. Right. Well, and now like as as you know, we mentioned in our most anticipated episode, when I was like, I want I, why this movie is so high up is because. Who knows what's going to happen to this franchise soon? Once that Disney deal closes, oh, I think a lot of this, a lot of this stuff is going to be completely rebooted, scrapped, whatever. Any chance at a new New Mutants two is basically out the window at this point, because if New Mutants hits theaters in February of Nike of next year, that's going to be 13, 14 months after the deal is initially agreed upon between Disney and Fox. Estimates are between twelve and eighteen months for the deal to be officially complete approved finalized you know all um you know eyes dotted t's crossed whatever like right there's literally no way you mean it's two gets off the ground now unless disney just is like let's put it on streaming we'll have these side x-men properties on elseworld universes on our streaming service and now it's just like well now i know i'm gonna get one new mutants movie regardless mm-hmm. of it's terrible or if it's the best thing I've ever seen, I'm going to get one, nothing else. So, it's uh, it's disappointing, to it's say the least. huge shame. So, uh, that's all we have for the news. Before we sign off, Josh, do you know what we're going to review next week? Uh, the Poker King. <laughs> no, that's, that's, that was on Netflix this week. Um, what are we reviewing next week? Yep. Uh, is it like Tanya? Is it... Fan thread, maybe, if those expand to us. Oscar film season. Hopefully. Yes. If not, um, I'm not even sure what goes wide on the night. 12 Strong, the Chris Hemsworth, Michael horse Shannon, soldier movie. Michael Pena, Horse Soldier movie comes out. So worst case scenario, mm-hmm. it's going to be 12 Strong. And uh, we'll start off 2018 with our first, or we'll finally get into a 2018 movie in 2018, three weeks in. Um but if not, we'll we'll let you know, or you'll find out. <laughs> yeah. 
So that's all we have for this episode. Be sure to tell us your thoughts on everything we covered by tweeting us at Friends of Film. We're USU Updates on the podcast, movie news, and more. You can follow me personally on Twitter at MovieCooper and Coops underscore Hoops. And you can get at me, Josh, at just Joshua Ryan. Uh, and if you enjoy this episode, please subscribe to Retweet and more. Plus, head right to is going to say five-star review with comments telling us what you enjoy about the show, but also what we can improve upon. Uh, we'll also be back in a couple of days with the big question, our second episode. Thanks for everybody who listened to our first one where we talked about if superhero movies are ruining cinema. Uh, this one we'll be talking about whether or not we should, uh, if we want to see a Zack Snyder cut of Justice League. But again, that's all we have for this episode. Thanks again for tuning in to the Friends of Film Podcast. Josh. Thanks for stopping in, everyone. And be sure to turn next week for our review.